Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma, where it is absolutely pouring rain outside, and it's supposed to be that way all throughout the day, probably for the next 10 or so hours, all into the evening as well. So my notes are a little bit wrinkled up and damp, but easy to see still, so that's not a big deal. Thanks for taking a break from your March Madness college basketball viewing. Maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about, but some of you probably do. There is a love that will endure. To withstand crises, we must have this agape love, a love that is not in human beings. We must love Jesus Christ through everything in order to enter the family of God. And that means keeping the law of God. 1 John 5, verse 3. This is a quote from John's Gospel, The Love of God, a booklet available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, written by Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry. And he quotes 1 John 5, verse 3 there, or he refers to it. That verse says, For this is the love of God that you keep his commandments And his commandments are not grievous. This is just one of many aspects about God's church and God's work that distinguishes it from the rest of the world. Traditional Christianity would tell you that the law is done away. Meanwhile, God's own word, the Holy Bible, says that keeping the law, keeping the commandments, is how we have God's love. Now, in this chapter, chapter 8, A Lesson in Love of John's Gospel, The Love of God, Mr. Flurry is talking about an instance pretty soon after Jesus Christ was brutally beaten, crucified, and then resurrected three days after his death, where he appeared to about half of his disciples who had decided to take a fishing trip. Now, these disciples were quite discouraged. They knew that they had let down their teacher. They had ran away when times got tough. Their love for Christ was not reflected by their actions. So maybe it was a little bit difficult for them to face reality at this point about how they had ran away from Christ when Perhaps Christ would have needed their support most of all. Christ went through an absolute mockery, a breach of justice. He is the most innocent victim of all time. And yet, through all of that, by willingly sacrificing himself, he showed this type of deep agape, sacrificial love that God expects us to develop. 
and Christ was here on the scene, appearing to the disciples while they were fishing. And he was going to teach them this lesson about love. So on this fishing trip, these disciples, led by Peter, were not catching anything. They were fishing all night, pretty much, and they didn't catch a single fish. But the very next morning, Christ appeared to them in disguise. You see, without God's help, we can't even discern who God is. We can't even tell who he is. The disciples didn't recognize Christ, but Christ told them to just simply put their net on the other side of the ship, and sure enough, it was filled immediately with fish. After going completely empty all night, they caught 153 fishes as soon as Christ told them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And then they all sat down to eat the fish together. And this is where Christ started teaching them about love. The type of love they would need to display, to put into action every single day when Christ wasn't going to be with them anymore. So here in John 21, verse 15, Christ asked this challenging question to Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me more than these? Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Christ said unto him, feed my lambs. And then verse 16, Christ said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me? Peter said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Christ said unto him, feed my sheep. And finally, Christ again asked Peter whether Peter loved him. And again, Christ said, feed my sheep. But this brings our attention to this twofold commission, this two-pronged purpose of God's work today. This has always been the basic priority list of God's work. It's summed up right here. John 21, verses 15 and 16. The first statement was, feed my lambs. The second statement was, feed my sheep. So in this booklet, John's Gospel, The Love of God, Mr. Fleury writes, I have never understood this verse before, talking about verse 15, feed my lambs. When Christ talks about lambs, he is discussing people who are not yet sheep. They have that potential, but have not yet been converted. He is referring to prospective members, co-workers, and others God sends his message to. In other words, Christ instructed Peter to get his message out to the world. This is God's number one commission for his church. So there's two groups of people here. You have the sheep, and in this case, we're using that term in a positive way. These are people who are following God. They are converted. They are members of his one true church. They are supporting his work. But then there's also lambs, people who have come into contact with the truth, people who listen to KPCG, watch the Key of David, read the publications, read the literature, but maybe have not quite made that step of 
repenting, being baptized, becoming members of the church. Those are the lambs. These are people who also have a very important part in supporting God's work. And here Christ is telling Peter, prioritize them. Prioritize the lambs. Now, if you really understand the message that God's work is delivering, you can understand why the work would put people not in the church ahead of people in the church. There is a dire warning aspect to this message. People have to be warned of the punishment that is coming upon the entire world very soon. And they have to be given hope. This would be like if you're on a lifeboat and there's people drowning all around you. You have a few friends on the boat with you and they're hungry. Obviously, you want to feed them too. But what about the people who are drowning? What about the people not on the lifeboat in the first place? They need to be offered a hand out of that water. They need to be offered a chance to get onto the lifeboat, perhaps, if that's God's will for them at this time. So you can see the priority is pretty simple. It does make sense if you look at it that way. If you think about the urgency of the times and what some people out there could possibly escape, the type of punishment they could avoid if they take the necessary action upon God's word, upon the message that they're hearing. Obviously, the people in the water drowning take priority over the people already on the lifeboat who are maybe a little bit hungry. And now this obviously does not mean that the sheep are neglected. It's just that the priority has to be the lambs and then the sheep. But Christ was challenging Peter here and all the other disciples who were listening in. Do you really have my love do you really love the world the way you should? Mr. Flurry continues here in the John booklet. The word lambs also helps us see how deeply God loves the people of this world in spite of their rebellion. They were created to become members of God's family, but first they must be converted and become God's sheep. So the lambs can become sheep. And that's ultimately the goal for every human being who has ever lived. But even some today could become those sheep, make that transition. Mr. Flurry continues, God's plan is to save the world, not just those of us called today. Those billions of people in this world are potential sheep in God's flock. Christ died for the world. John 3 verse 16. That's right. Christ died for everybody. He died for sinners. He died for people who don't believe he exists. He died for people who never in their wildest dreams would ever even consider obeying God. But that sacrifice can't really take full effect 
in those people's lives until they acknowledge it, until they accept it. And they'll have a chance to accept that sacrifice properly one day to understand exactly what Christ went through because of each one of our sins, because of each one of us individually breaking God's law. Mr. Fleury continues, can you sacrifice your life for the world as Christ did? Are you that committed to doing and finishing God's work as Christ was? We can look at John 4, verse 34, which he references here. John 4, verse 34. This was a time where Christ was working so hard to teach the masses that he was skipping meals. And so, of course, his disciples were asking him, aren't you hungry? Don't you want to take a break and have something to eat? John 4, verse 34, Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So again, what's a little bit of hunger when there is a job to do? It's similar to that lifeboat analogy. Maybe we get a little bit hungry once in a while, but maybe also there are lives to save. Maybe there are people who can be reached with God's warning message who will take action upon it and escape what is coming. And even if they don't, if you knew, if you knew that so many people in this world were about to suffer horrendously in a variety of horrifying ways very soon, and you tried not at all to help them and warn them, wouldn't that at least afflict your conscience in some way? Why wouldn't you want to at least try to say something? If you see something, say something. That's the saying. Even if you know that they're not going to listen. Even if you know that most people in the world are not going to pay attention to God's warning right now. It's still a moral obligation to say something. Just on the small chance that some of them will take action and that some of them, when they go through the punishment that they were warned about, will remember the message. And it'll even give them hope. They'll realize that God's promises of that punishment came to pass and that also God's promises of a better future beyond that punishment would also come to pass. So during that punishment, they'll realize that they should have heeded the warning, but they'll also realize what lies beyond. They'll have hope in something better, and that hope will sustain them through the suffering. They'll see that a better world is on the way. This message will give hope even to those who don't act upon it right now. So it's incredibly valuable to all mankind, this message. Again, this question from 
John's Gospel, The Love of God, a booklet available for free at thetrumpet.com, Is God's love in you? Is it in me? Do we have that kind of a love that Christ did where he was willing to die for everybody? Not just one person, not just his bosom brother John, but for everybody. That's hard to even imagine doing. Mr. Fleury writes here, so John concluded his gospel with this lesson. He is the only gospel writer who did this. The world doesn't recognize this because it doesn't have that love. He's referring to some commentators, Bible commentators, not even understanding why John chapter 21 is a part of that gospel account. They think it's basically like an appendix and not the proper conclusion of the Gospel of John. Mr. Fleury continues, Lacking this love, most people betray Christ when pressure comes. They don't know anything about the sacrificial love of God. They don't understand that you and I could lay down our lives for a friend or for our mate or for God simply because we have something in us called agape, the love of God. Peter lacked the love of God, and Christ was showing that to him. He wants us to learn this lesson, too. If we love Christ, we remain loyal to him, even if we have to die. That's what Christ was teaching to Peter. Peter, the same man, the same chief apostle, given divine authority by God himself, who ended up betraying Christ three times, exactly like Christ said he would. Peter, who had said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and yet when the chance came, he did it three separate times. People would ask, don't you know who that guy is, that that Christ who's about to be punished? Don't you, don't you have some sort of a relationship with him? And Peter would get angry at them. He'd start yelling at them. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never even seen him before. Even though Christ had done so much to teach him and help him, Peter would deny Christ. So you can see why Peter would be devastated to be asked three times during this occasion if he even loved Christ. Those are some that's a hard question to answer, especially after what Peter had just gone through. And really all of us fall short in some way or another in trying to put this type of love into practice. This is not to bash Peter. Peter is an incredible example for us in so many ways. But how would we respond in that kind of a situation? knowing that maybe the mobs would consider us guilty by association. If we even knew Christ, maybe we would be punished in a similar way. Wouldn't it be tempting to pretend or to say nothing just to try to get away from that? So back to this twofold commission 
where Peter tells or Christ tells Peter, feed my lambs. And then he says, feed my sheep. So it's putting the world first. It's not about getting more members in the church necessarily. Only God can call people into the church. And it's according to his timing. It's not about money. It's not about anything like that. It's about reaching the world and being a witness to them. And again, that's something else that's really unique about God's work. What other church would tell you it's not even about gaining in membership at all? That's always a nice perk. It's a bonus. And hopefully people do come around. But it's not even close to the main goal. In fact, this is God's little flock. It's not meant to be a massive membership. Mr. Fleury says, fulfilling this twofold commission requires the love of God. So if you're a member of the Philadelphia Church of God, don't you have to have a really unselfish type of love to put the world ahead of yourself, essentially, to support a warning message to the world ahead of supporting your own spiritual edification in some ways. Again, not neglecting the sheep, but prioritizing the lambs ahead of the sheep. Mr. Flurry writes, The only way we will fulfill the great commission of going to the world is if we love the world. Christ told Peter, if you don't have this love in you, you're not going to love the world by getting out there and doing everything possible to feed those people. I want you to love them and help them understand God's purpose. God's church is a witness to the world in that way. Even if unconverted people understand only a part of God's purpose today, that's a start. Before I came on the air, there was a really inspiring Key of David program playing on KPCG. Mr. Fleury was talking all about the human spirit. Who knows about the human spirit besides God's church? As taught to us by the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong in Mystery of the Ages, in The Incredible Human Potential, in What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind. All available to you now for free at thetrumpet.com. Who else knows about this spiritual component that combines with our brains that sets us apart from all the animals? And not only that makes possible connecting with God's Holy Spirit and being set apart from even other human beings, having that special connection and access to God, and eventually allowing that to make us a part of God's family, become God's own sons, all because of this spiritual component, the human spirit combining with our brains. Isn't that something worth telling the world? Telling them the right way to use the mind instead of abusing it? Telling them about their purpose 
and their potential, their future, explaining about who God is and about the spirit world that they actually do come into contact with every day, whether they know it or not. The world is ravaged by an evil spirit realm every day. Yet they could be protected by the good spirit realm if they sought that protection. It is available. There is a spiritual war being waged all around us every single day. And we get to distribute Mystery of the Ages, this book that explains about that spiritual war, to the largest audience possible. That's what we can do, supporting God's work. It doesn't mean preaching on the street corner. It's just about getting this message, this truth out, supporting the work that delivers that message, giving people hope, offering a hand to a drowning man. As Mr. Flurry described his book, Malachi's Message, it is a lifeline, this message. And that's why it's so, it's such an, a humbling honor to be a part of doing that work. Notice this description of our future here in John's Gospel, The Love of God. Mr. Flurry writes The Father's house is being built in heaven, it will be brought to earth with New Jerusalem after there is no more flesh on earth. That will be a time when there are only spirit beings after the last great day. So God the Father is so perfect, he will not even dwell anywhere near sinful human beings. He cannot be in the presence of sin, not even on the same planet as sin. So once the entire earth is purified of that sin, Finally, New Jerusalem will come down from heaven and God will live here on earth among other spirit beings. And Mr. Flurry continues, the New Jerusalem will be filled with real offices. We will live and work in that beautiful, fabulous, magnificent house forever with our father and our husband. Christ said he would go and prepare a place for you, you individually. John 14, verse 3. You need to take this personally. God will ensure we each have a place, an appropriate office. God's house is being built around the personnel Jesus Christ has. The place each of us occupies will depend on what we do. We will be rewarded according to our works and what we have done to help God's work. It really is that practical. Think about this carefully as you help God's work. Again, this is about a two-pronged commission of God's work, reaching out to the lambs or to the world with this message of warning and hope, and also after that first priority, feeding the sheep, feeding the members making sure that we're all growing in character and striving to follow Christ's perfect example. But again, the lambs come first, 
They need to, to see a glimpse of this future to give them some kind of hope, especially now. The world is falling apart. They need hope, and that's the type of hope this work can give them. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.